This podcast was recorded in mid-July 2020. Any references to social distancing and infection control were valid at the time of recording. You're listening to a podcast from Penny Cell Practice. Hello once more and welcome back to our podcast series brought to you by Penny Cell Practice. For those of you who are new to our podcasts, I am Dr. Jeff Hamp. Hello there, I am Dr. Sam McGinley. This time we have another one of our special podcasts for you and today we are going to be talking about travelling on holiday or travelling abroad and what you need to do before travelling. Yes, whether it's a summer holiday or a little bit of winter sunshine, whether it is for business or pleasure, there are some things you should do before you go, as well as getting your travel money and your travel tickets. And if you are one of our listeners from abroad, hello to you all and we look forward to seeing you here in the UK. Now, as we record this, the thought or the idea of a holiday abroad might not be top of your list. And with the travel restrictions in place, travelling abroad might be difficult. And it could be for some time to come. However, it is important to know about these things when travelling abroad, whenever that might be. Thank you to all of you who have contacted us with ideas and topics for the podcasts we've been doing so far. We have some exciting podcasts in the pipeline. And if you have an idea, please let us know so we can make these podcasts more relevant and useful to you. So sit back and enjoy this week's podcast. And if you're listening to us by the pool on holiday, we hope that you are having a lovely time. Maybe we should start with an important but often overlooked topic, travel insurance. Ah, yes. Now, travel insurance doesn't just cover you for your lost suitcase or your stolen phone whilst you're abroad. It's actually really important because it covers you for medical problems. So should you need medical assistance whilst you're abroad, you don't have to worry about the cost of receiving this medical care. This even applies in countries where there may be free or reciprocal arrangements for free healthcare, as you may need to be medically repatriated, and this in itself is very, very expensive. Earlier on in the summer, you might have seen the news article about the 70-year-old man in Seattle who spent 62 days in hospital with COVID-19. Luckily, he successfully recovered. On discharge, he was presented with his medical bill for almost $1.1 million. It is unbelievable, really, but it is well known that medical costs in somewhere like the USA are prohibitively expensive. And whilst any care you may need hopefully won't be anywhere near that cost, the costs can be in the thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars. And if you don't have travel insurance, you will have to pay that bill yourself. Yes, so before you travel, and preferably as soon as possible, take out adequate travel insurance. Remember to ensure it covers you for the country or countries you're going to, the duration of your travel and the types of activity you'll be doing. For instance, skiing or water sports often carry a premium as these are the type of activities you will more likely injure yourself and need to claim on. An important thing to remember is that the insurance you purchase is a financial product that is based on some very important declarations that you make regarding your pre-existing health conditions. So you must declare all your pre-existing medical conditions to your insurers before you travel. And this includes anything that happens in the hours before you travel and also includes things that you might not yet have a diagnosis for. Yes, your insurance is only valid if you have declared your pre-existing medical conditions. You might think, well, how will the insurers know? Well, from our point of view, the first we know that you've injured yourself and need medical assistance is contact from your travel insurers. They ask us for a copy of your medical records before they will agree to provide assistance. And this is a condition of your insurance that you agreed when you took out the policy. 
Now, if your insurers deem that you have not declared all of your pre-existing medical conditions, they can and they will decline to provide you with assistance. And this means you will be stuck abroad, needing expensive medical care that you will have to pay for. And should you need medical repatriation, you will also have to arrange this yourself. We should just point out at this stage to ensure that your travel insurance does cover you for medical repatriation. We got in touch with the ABI, the Association of British Insurers, and to summarise everything we have said, we will read their reply. They said, travel insurers pay out more on medical expenses than any other type of claim. It is very important that insurers know about any medical conditions that their customers may have. Customers may find that they are not covered if they are dishonest and try to hide important details about their health. Some insurers may quote a premium that covers specific medical conditions or may offer to issue a travel insurance policy with an exclusion for costs that come about because of a specific medical condition. Travelling without full medical cover is risky and could result in customers having to pay a very large medical bill. And you also got in touch with some companies that arranged medical repatriation back to the UK, didn't you, Jeff? That's right, Sam. I emailed some of the medical companies that specialise in medical repatriation. These companies all said they tended to deal with people abroad who had been told that they had to arrange their own medical repatriation due to either no travel insurance or because their insurance was deemed invalid. Indeed, they all said the same one thing with regards to travel insurance. You really must declare all your past medical history, no matter how small or insignificant it might be. And they all said this. Yes, that's right. Every company said declare all your current and past medical problems, and they couldn't stress this more strongly, including things that might not have bothered you for years. For instance, asthma that hasn't troubled you for decades. They also said that the UK embassies do not provide assistance for medical costs or medical repatriation, but they can put you in touch with people and companies who can arrange help and repatriation. And they also said don't rely on the EHIC card instead of insurance. The EHIC card also does not cover medical repatriation costs and will only give you up to the same level of health cover as the country you are visiting provides its own citizens. The EHIC card also doesn't cover costs of extra accommodation or other costs incurred. And we don't know as yet what will happen from 2021 with the EHIC card and the reciprocal health arrangements we have in Europe. Now, they also said, please don't buy the cheapest travel insurance you can find, as you may find you have to pay in advance and then claim back later. Also, you must declare all activities you want to do in advance, such as renting scooters or cars or taking part in water activities or skiing or other adventurous things. Now, lastly, alcohol and drugs. Most travel insurance policies exclude claims that occur whilst under the influence of alcohol and drugs. We were surprised to hear that sometimes insurers can class even a stumble after a glass of wine with your evening meal whilst out at a restaurant, causing fractures as an incident under the influence of alcohol, and so won't cover this. So please be careful and sensible when you're drinking, even socially. So Jeff, what sort of prices were you quoted for medical repatriation? Well, it is important to say there is no such thing as an average cost, and these are purely hypothetical to give us an idea of costs. But for an idea of costs, repatriating someone on a commercial flight from Asia back to the UK is about £25,000, or £35,000 if a stretcher is needed, and if you use a private air ambulance, you're looking at about £130,000. Repatriating someone from Tenerife is around £26,000 and from Cyprus £36,000. Apparently, commercial airlines cannot support stretcher repatriations from the Canary Islands or Cyprus, so smaller aircraft are required. And from Cyprus, these need to refuel to get back to the UK. Repatriating someone from the USA to the UK by private air ambulance is around £100,000 or £40,000 on commercial aircraft. And lastly, repatriating someone from Western Europe to the UK via air ambulance is around £30,000 
and by road ambulance is still around £12,000. Okay, shall we move on from travel insurance and look at medicines? Yes, and this includes prescription and non-prescription medicines. Make sure you have enough prescription medication to last you the duration of your travel, as you may find the medication we prescribe you in the UK does not exist abroad. For most travellers, this isn't a problem, but if you are travelling for more than three months, we cannot issue an NHS prescription for medications longer than this duration. This means you may have to have a private prescription for medications you need for longer than three months. You may also wish to ensure that you have a supply of commonly used over-the-counter medications with you, such as painkillers, antihistamines, travel sickness and upset tummy medication, as well as your first aid kit. But remember to check before you travel that the medicines you're taking into a country aren't banned in that country. For instance, if you were to take over-the-counter cocodamol, an easily available painkiller in the UK, into Singapore, and you had a packet of 32 tablets, you would need approval at least 10 working days in advance of your planned arrival. Yet, you can buy this over-the-counter in the UK. The only way to check this is to find out from the individual country embassies before you travel. We also advise you to keep medicines in their original packaging with labels, keep a copy of the prescription, this is essential for certain countries, and check whether you need a healthcare practitioner letter for the countries you are visiting. And we also advise that medication goes with you in your hand luggage, as you are much less likely to lose your medication this way. Now, if you have medications that are classed as controlled drugs, you may need a licence to carry these out of the UK as well as into another country. Controlled drugs refer to medication that are controlled under the misuse of drugs legislation and includes medications like diazepam and tamazepam, painkillers like morphine, codeine and tramadol, and other medications such as some cough suppressants, testosterone and, of course, illegal drugs. We've put some useful links regarding travelling with medication, including controlled drugs, in the information section of this podcast. Now, if you are going away to somewhere sunny, don't forget sun health. And this also counts if you're going skiing, as although you're unlikely to be sunbathing, the snow is a very effective reflector of UV rays. Do you know the quantity of sun cream you need to put on your head, neck and arms? If you don't know the answer to this, you should have a listen to our podcast on sunshine and vitamin D for some good advice regarding sun health. We will remind you at the end, so don't go until you've listened to the rest of this podcast. One of the other things people tend to forget about when booking travel is the need for travel immunisations. Even if you've had all your NHS routine immunisations, these do not cover you for all the infectious diseases found overseas. And as Sam says, travel immunisations are often left until the last moment. The problem is that some immunisations need to be given well in advance to allow your body to develop immunity, and some need several doses spread over weeks or months. We advise that you start making inquiries about travel immunisations at least eight weeks before you are due to travel for this reason. At Penny's Hill Practice, we are able to give you certain free immunisations for travel. However, you will have to pay for non-NHS travel immunisations and obtain these from a private travel health clinic. Be aware, some travel immunisations are expensive, so we recommend you budget for these when planning your trip. Some countries require proof of immunisation, which must be documented on an International Certificate of Vaccination or Prophylaxis, or an ICVP. This must be done before you enter or when you leave a country. And for yellow fever, these certificates can only be obtained from an approved yellow fever centre. 
Now, once you have your yellow fever certificate, make sure you keep a copy, as this is the proof you have had the immunisation. Always make sure you carry it on you at all times when abroad. And the yellow fever immunisation, at the time of this podcast, lasts a lifetime now, so you only need the injection once. We've put a link to the NHS Fit for Travel website in the podcast information and advise you check the country or countries you are planning to go to for immunisation information. We also recommend you check the Foreign and Commonwealth Office for country-specific information, not just health, and check this regularly up to your planned date of departure. And this leads us to talking about biting insects. The NHS Fit for Travel website gives you information about bite avoidance, which is the best way of lowering the chance of getting an insect-borne disease such as malaria. Not being bitten is better than trying to treat the disease you have got from being bitten. So we recommend you avoid the habitats that biting insects live in, use protective clothing, sleep under impregnated bed nets, and apply effective insect repellent. A combination of these measures is considered the most effective way to prevent bites. Now, where possible, It is advised to avoid areas of stagnant or standing water, which are ideal breeding grounds for mosquitoes. Tick bites can be reduced by keeping to footpaths and avoiding wooded and bushy areas with high grass. Wearing light-coloured clothing will also help you see ticks and other insects. And remember, clothing made from natural fibres can be sprayed or impregnated with insecticides such as permethrin and DEET. Make sure you wear loose-fitted clothing and long trousers and long sleeves and socks if outdoors after sunset. Yes, as Sam says, long trousers are very handy. For tick-borne encephalitis, which is a viral infection spread by tick bites, which can cause an infection of the central nervous system leading to meningitis and or encephalitis, make sure you wear long socks tucked into your trousers. And if you've been walking in long grass during the day, every night check your partner thoroughly for ticks. Avoid using strong perfume products which might attract insects and use insecticide vaporizers inside or coils outdoors to keep them away. And remember, check your bodies for ticks after outdoor activities and remove them promptly. Tick removers are cheaply obtained and small enough to keep in your travel toiletry or first aid bag. And I'm afraid there is no evidence that eating garlic, vitamin B tablets or yeast extract or using tea tree oil will keep mosquitoes at bay. If you need to take anti-malarials, please remember to take them exactly as the instructions say, as this is the only way they are effective. Yes, with anti-malarial tablets, you must complete the full course of tablets after you've returned to the UK, as per the instructions. And remember, malaria can live dormant in your system for years. If you develop a fever-like illness on your return to the UK, you must notify your GP and make them aware of this in case you need to be tested for malaria. And lastly, rabies. Human rabies is present in more than 150 countries and territories, and apart from Antarctica, is on all continents. Tens of thousands of people die each year from rabies, and the WHO estimate that dogs are the main source of human rabies deaths. 40% of those bitten by suspected rabid animals are children under the age of 15. In almost 100% of cases, rabies is fatal. Rabies is spread by contact from saliva from any animal infected with rabies, via a bite, scratch or a lick to an infected wound. This includes pets. It is usually fatal once symptoms develop in humans. Bats also carry a form of rabies and these are often felt and not seen and may not bleed or leave a mark on the skin. And by infected animals we mean dogs, cats, bats and monkeys. A course of three pre-exposure rabies immunisations before leaving the UK can prevent infection in humans and prevent death. 
we really do encourage you that if you're going to a high-risk country and or visiting remote areas, have the pre-exposure rabies immunisation course. This may be the thing that saves your life. When abroad, try and avoid contact with animals. If you are bitten, scratched or spat at by an animal, immediately flush the wound with water for several minutes. Then wash with soap or detergent and water. Apply a disinfectant and get urgent medical help, even if the wound seems trivial. Prompt treatment is needed, even if you've had all the pre-exposure immunisations before travel, as you may need further. If you did not have or complete the rabies immunisation before travel, you must immediately seek help, as you may need a blood product called rabies immunoglobulin, as well as a full immunisation course. If you have had all the pre-exposure immunisations, you may not need immunoglobulin, but you will need two further doses of the immunisation to give you full protection, so you must still act immediately. And if you have a scratch or a bite to the face from an animal, you'll more than likely need to be treated with immunoglobulin due to the increased risk of infection attacking and infecting your facial nerves, even if you have had the pre-exposure immunisations. When we say immediately, we really do mean immediately. Do not wait until the next day or finish what you are doing. This is time critical as you do not have long. It may be that the country you are in does not have the immunoglobulin or immunisation and you may need to get on an emergency flight to either the UK or the nearest country for immediate treatment. Now this all sounds very dramatic and very serious and that's because it is. If you do not get immediate treatment and you have chosen not to have pre-exposure rabies immunisations and you are infected with rabies, once you develop symptoms because you've not had treatment or the pre-exposure immunisations, Unfortunately, death is almost always inevitable. So please, once again, if you're going somewhere or doing something that increases your risk of rabies, please have the pre-exposure rabies immunisations before you travel. If you're then exposed, please do still get help. If you are not immunised, you must get immediate medical assistance. If you are bitten or scratched, please contact us immediately on your return to the UK, as we will need to contact the health protection teams. They will then courier us emergency supplies of the remaining rabies immunisations you will need, which we can then give you. You must let us know which type of rabies immunisation you've already received, including any abroad, so we can make sure you get the correct immunisations. Okay, well that was quite a long podcast for us, but we do hope that this has been helpful. We have used a variety of resources for the information we've given you to ensure that it is the most up-to-date and most applicable for you today, and we've put important links in the podcast information, so please do have a look at these. And if you are on holiday listening to us, why don't you drop us a line and let us know, and we can say hello! Don't forget, if you have any topics you'd like us to cover, then email us at our dedicated email address, pennyshill.podcast at dorsetgp.nhs.uk, or you can leave us a message at anchor.fm forward slash pennyshillpractice forward slash message, or go to our website and fill in the form there. We are also on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and TuneIn. Remember to subscribe on your app so you're the first to be notified when our latest podcast is released. Don't forget, you can also listen via your Amazon Alexa, Google Home device or in the car through Android Auto or Apple CarPlay. And if you have any pearls of wisdom you would like to share with our listeners, please feel free to share them with us. Thanks again for listening and stay safe and we'll see you in the next episode. Bye. Bye.